So, um, in thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, I'm going to talk about the five reasons stuff happens. It's called the five niyamas. And, and this time of year, a lot of stuff is happening. Uh, people change jobs. People change addresses. People change spouses. People are changing a lot of stuff because the new year is coming and they either want a fresh start, a new start, or to do something else. So, and, and, and on top of all that, a lot of people die this time of year. You know, Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people are dying. And, uh, and how the heck do you make sense of that? You know, there's uh, a minister in um, Thousand Oaks who just lost his daughter who started at UCLA. And she was in a terrible car accident and she died a week later. And how do you even put words to that? You know, it's just uh, unbelievable. So if you're a Christian, you may look to the heavens and blame God or pray to God that everything will be okay. But as a Buddhist, we don't really have that as an option unless we want to. So our option is to try to understand why stuff happens in our life and who do we get to blame? Because blaming is important for humans. (laughs) So the first reason stuff happens is universal cause and consequence. Now, uh, we just had an earthquake in Alaska, you know, and so when earthquakes happen, sometimes there's a tsunami or storm surge. We have hurricanes, property is lost, life is lost, and, and who do you blame? Well, the thing I like about Buddhism is in the universal cause and consequence of things, there's no intent. You know, the universe did not intend to cause humans to suffer more than they already are. It's just things came into being, circumstances arose, platelets shifted, and we had an earthquake. And now we got to figure out, well, okay, I can't blame anybody because that's the nature of living on this planet. I just bought a DVD of the National Geographic series called Mars. And I love Mars. And I would go to Mars if I could. And I would die on Mars. Just to have a little, you know, tombstone. He died on Mars. And, and the thing I like about this series is it's scientifically based. And there's a bunch of talking heads, scientists, explaining the next scene and why the next scene is the way it is. So you have the drama and you have the science. And there's nothing on Mars to support human life. Mars does not care if we're there. Our home planet, Earth, has oxygen and food and water. And we can make shelter out of caves and under trees. And so we can sustain our life without too much effort as compared to living on Mars where you have to bring your environment with you. And if you step outside that environment, you're a goner. Do you blame Mars for being ruthless in the way it treats humans? Well, no, you can't. It's just that's what it is. And if you want to go there, you need to be prepared. And if you live on Earth and you want to stay here, 
you need to be prepared. So when I go to the Angeles National Forest, I'm always on the lookout for widow makers. And if you don't know what a widow maker is, it's when a branch at the top of the tree falls off, hits you in the head, and kills you. That's called a widow maker. But besides widow makers in Angeles National Forest, you have snakes and spiders and maybe some coyotes and mountain lions and maybe a bear or two. And all those things wouldn't mind killing you because it doesn't really care if you exist or not. So to stay alive as a human being, we need to be aware that most things, if they have the opportunity, will kill us. And we need to be smart enough to avoid that. We need to maybe walk in a different neighborhood, maybe be in a car, maybe say the prayers every morning so we can stay alive. But that's the universe, and that's how the universe works. So number one. The reason stuff happens is because sometimes there's a universal cause and consequence with no intention behind it that will ruin our life. Number two, the second reason stuff happens to human beings is genes and chromosomes, our biology. We are predisposed to go in a certain direction because of our genetics. And sometimes people get terrible diseases because of their genes and chromosomes. Nothing to do with the external environment. It was just sort of pre-planned that that would happen to you. And of course, it always takes the people by surprise. How could it happen to me? Well, it was programmed to happen to you. Thankfully, most people have insurance. And there are medical options now to deal with a lot of those pre-programmed diseases and we can continue to live and have a satisfactory life. So genes and chromosomes. I guess if you wanted to blame somebody, your parents. <laughs> but, but they probably didn't know either. Okay, number three. This is the one we have some control over. And it is karma. This is the moral aspect of why things happen. There's a cause and consequence of what we think, say, and do. And the consequence can be severe or minor or, or not at all. The thing I like about karma is that it doesn't care. And every time I thought about God, he, she, it cared. And, and if my life got worse because of that, it was because of him, her, or it. But when I think about karma, no eyes, no ears, no intention. It's just a natural law like gravity. And if you fall down and bring your fist and shake it at the, at the sky and say, gravity, I hate you. Why did you do that to me? Gravity has nothing to say. It's just that's how it works. So as we get older, we start to realize that gravity is not our friend. (laughs) And we make adjustments, and we compensate, and life goes on. But the thing karma allows us to do is to change the consequence if it hasn't happened yet. So we may just do something that's terrible, and we, we 
finally realize after the fact that we did something that was terrible and now we tremble at the thought of the consequence coming towards us but if it hasn't yet arrived what we need to do is create enough good karma to balance the bad consequence that is about to happen. So you immediately give $100 to Red Cross. And then you look for old people to walk across the street. And then you want to bring some prepackaged food to the homeless. And you continue this as long as it takes until the time the consequence could occur is over. And you beat the consequence because the good karma was bigger than the bad consequence. Now, I love that idea because that means that I'm in charge of my life to a certain extent. I'm one of the contributing factors in my life. And I have to realize that and I have to put it to good use to make my life better. So oftentimes, as we inch to... New Year's, we make resolutions. I'm going to have a really good year this year. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise right. I'm going to give half my money away. And I'm just going to be a really good person. In about February, we start looking at our failure to live up to that. And we go, wow, it's really hard to be a better person. And it usually doesn't come because you want to be. It becomes circumstances allow you to be better. And what we need to do is recognize the circumstances we find ourselves in and see the opportunity to be better in those circumstances. Now, I was just talking to my brother. He lives in Panama City, Florida. He moved there after the hurricane in North Carolina. So he got to Panama City just in time for the second hurricane. And thankfully, his apartment was still standing, but he had to go two states over to avoid the wind and the storm surge. So he was having a problem. He's 66 years old, and he was having a problem with drinking a lot of fluids and going to the bathroom a lot. And he said, you know what? I think I got diabetes. And he had had no symptoms before, so he went to the doctor, and the doctor did their... Uh, tests, and as it turns out, he has diabetes. So the doctor says, well, we can beat this, but it's going to be up to you. Number one, you need to change your diet. You're just, you're 300 pounds. He's almost 300 pounds. So he's, he's a lot overweight. He's 6'4". He could carry maybe 250, 240, but 300 is a bit much. You got to lose some weight. You got to stop drinking 30 beers a day. That's not good. Maybe one beer a day just to taste it, but no more than that. Then he says, you got to exercise. And I recommend you exercise two hours a day, six days a week. Now, my brother doesn't exercise. He has gym equipment, but he doesn't use it. So to change your whole lifestyle, food, exercise, reading labels at the grocery store, to see what you're ingesting and realizing that you'll never be able to eat half of what's in the grocery store again. Bummer. Plus, he has to do an injection 
it's not insulin. It's something else and something new. And it, and you and apparently it's self-contained. And you just hold it up to your stomach, and that's the biggest part of his body. So that's what he's using. And you push the little button, and it automatically injects it. He's got to do that once a week, four times a month. The price for that is two thousand seven hundred dollars. Tell me about it. He has wonderful insurance. He has Medicare. Plus, he was in the in the Coast Guard, so he's got a federal insurance program as well. And it's going to cost him like fifty dollars. So he saved a heck of a lot of money. And he said to me, as I'm talking to him on the phone, "You Medicare? Yeah. Do you have Part D prescription? Yeah." He says. That's good, because if you need to get a prescription, it can cost you an arm and a leg. And you have to decide whether you eat or do that injection. And I just heard a great quote yesterday as I was listening to the radio. In our golden years, we want to have enough money so we don't have to go to the golden arches. (laughs) I love that. So start saving now, you know. (laughs) Okay, so we have genetics. Now... My dad had diabetes, so genetically, my brother was sort of predisposed to go in that direction, and his lifestyle was conducive to diabetes. So he had, he had no way to know it was coming. Well, he did, but he didn't see it. Karma, cause, and consequence. You can apply that to my brother, what he ate and the cause that happened, the consequence. How he looked at food, how he looked at drinking beer. He likes beer. If he could have a sign, he would have a sign that says, I like beer. And I think Judge Kavanaugh would agree with him. (laughs) That beer is good. And in Germany, they say beer is food. And I think that's probably the case. But now he has to be disciplined. Now he has to go in the direction of asceticism. Which is what Buddhism is all about. Buddhism isn't about what we have. It's about what we got to get rid of. And that's the deal. He's got to get rid of all the stuff now in his life that prevents him from having a good life. He doesn't need to add anything. He needs to subtract a lot of things. So karma will allow us to be in control of our life to a certain extent. We will be a main contributing factor. And if we have good karma, good karma, intention, speech, and action, good karma, generosity, kindness, wisdom, bad karma, greed, hatred, and delusion. We want good karma. And our mind leads our speech and action into the world. So we need to cultivate. We need to meditate. We need to understand how our mind works, what it thinks about, what desire causes it to do, what direction it pushes us in, and we need to be able to say, I'm not going in that direction, which is what my brother is faced with now, as he looks at, you know, mashed potatoes, gravy, and butter. He'll never be able to eat that stuff again. Or at least in moderation. Man. So, the universal cause and consequence, the genes and chromosomes, our karma. Number four, the Dharma. 
the Dharma allows us to see how things manifest in our life in the world. So there are the Four Noble Truths, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, the Eightfold Path. All those things can give us a clue on what we need to avoid or what direction we need to go in. But they have a significant influence on what's going to happen to us if we're a practicing Buddhist. It's one of the four reasons stuff happens is because we are practicing the Dharma. Now, that should mean that it's one of the four reasons why good stuff happens to us, why personal growth happens to us. It allows us to, to be better than we would have been without the Dharma. So I think this is an important consideration as we study the Dharma. This is a path to being a better person. And for a Buddhist, being a better person means a person who suffers less. So we all want to suffer less. And the Dharma can help us do that. It's a strong contributing factor to our happiness and our goal of ultimate peace. Now, number five, the reason stuff happens is our mind. We're always thinking about stuff. You know, and that stuff isn't necessarily good to think about sometimes. And, and oftentimes, I find, as I get older, my mind just thinks about all the stuff I did wrong. I'm going, wow, my whole life, I've done everything wrong. Now, that's not the case, realistically, but sometimes as we edit what we've done in our past, we don't see the glass as half full, we see it as half empty. And because we've already done it, there's no way to change it. But we can change the way it lives in us. We have that capability. So, how did my past affect my present moment? How does it live in me? Can I turn the discursive thought off for a while and give myself a break? Now, we have some older people living here, about my age, and I really enjoy watching them walk from the house to their car. And it might be, I don't know, 50 yards, 60 yards, but rarely do they look around. They're just looking three feet in front of them and lost in thought about something. They don't notice the cats over there, you know, or the flower that's blooming or the tree that's giving a shade. It's just they're stuck in their thoughts and they're just going. Okay. Well, can we turn it off for 50 yards and not think about anything? And, and we can if you practice meditation and mindfulness. And one of the ways to do it would be to count your footsteps. One, two, three, four. Two, ten, and down to one. One, two, three, four. And so rather than having, you know, a lifelong series of thoughts happening from the house to the car, you have a single number. And that single number is attached to something that's happening right now. Your footstep hitting the ground. 
It brings you into the present moment experience of your life. You're not stuck in the past. You're not anticipating the future. You're simply feeling the ground with the number. One, two, three, four. Or you could do some chanting. Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, and bless the walkway to your car. That all living creatures in the sound of your voice is being blessed right now. You've become a bodhisattva from the house to the car. And you can do that in shopping malls or in Vaughn Supermarket. Vaughn Supermarket needs more bodhisattvas chanting Om Mani Padme Hum. So there are ways to deal with the mind. There are four things we can do. Number one, we can abandon unskillful thoughts once they have arisen. Okay, so you have an unskillful thought. And you say, I don't want to think about that. It's not skillful. It doesn't have anything to do with the circumstance I find myself in. So we can abandon it and direct our thoughts in a different direction. We can prevent unskillful thoughts from arising. If you're aware that it's about to arise, you're on the bakery aisle, and there's that pumpkin pie, and it's on sale, you can prevent that unskillful thought from arising by looking at the yogurt counter, or maybe oatmeal, or some technique to break the train of thought. You can maintain skillful thoughts that are already there. That once you realize the thought is based in in generosity and kindness and wisdom, you can hold on to it. Make it last as long as it can. We realize all thoughts are temporary. And they will go away and other thoughts will take their place. But we can encourage skillful thoughts to last just a little bit longer if we're aware that it is a skillful thought. And then finally, we can develop skillful thoughts that have not yet arisen. One of generosity. We can encourage that to arise and we can use that to our advantage to make our life and the life of others better. So there's a lot of stuff we can do and there's a lot of things we can blame, but we're never able to blame one thing. One is sort of a Jewish religious concept. And they apply that to God, the one God of the desert. The Buddha lived in a culture of many gods, a hierarchy of God. There wasn't simply one of anything. It was always a multitude of things that were interconnected and interdependent. And anytime something unhappy happens to us and we say, there's no one thing that I can blame, it lessens the suffering. It keeps it at a level that we can work with it and understand that because I'm on earth, because I'm genetically inclined, because I have karma, because I'm studying the Dharma, because I have a mind, this stuff happens. It's the human condition. Number one, we're really lucky to be born human, 
because it gives us a chance to find the Dharma, practice the Dharma, and achieve nirvana. But it also works against us because we're just too darn smart for our own good. And we keep devising reasons why we are the victim and not the victor. So keep these five things in mind next time you feel like a victim. And it will allow you to come to a place of acceptance with the situation you find yourself in.